Hello and welcome to the Sleep Teacher Pod, the podcast for all the parents out there who just want sleep. I'm Christy, owner of The Sleep Teacher, and I am joined by my colleague, Beck. If you are in the trenches of sleep deprivation, we see you, we feel you, and trust us, this podcast is going to become your new BFF. We want you to know that you can still be a lovingly attached parent and get good sleep. You don't have to choose between the two. So pop Bub in the carrier, grab yourself a coffee, put those headphones in, because we have all the sleep tips coming your way. Let's get napping, Mama. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sleep Teacher Pod. I'm Christy. Hi, guys. I'm Beck. If you can't tell, Beck's a little nasally this week. <laughs> she's back on deck today, but she's been off the fourth. <laughs> Not only did her kids have the flu, but she's got the flu, like the real flu. Oh, my goodness. Save me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Beck's been off, but now, yeah, we've got her back on deck and kindly hobbing on to get through this podcast with us. So <laughs> going to be kind. Yeah, I wouldn't miss this one because I have been so excited to talk to this special guest of ours. Oh my gosh, it is so exciting, guys. This is like, this is big. We have Dr. Funky Afalabi Brown today. She is a triple certified sleep specialist pediatrician from the USA. Like she is the big dog. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so Dr. Funky Afalabi Brown literally just specializes in sleep. And oh my gosh, she knows it all. So we have all the questions coming her way today. And yeah, really excited to share this one with you because it's something we're super passionate about. And help you guys feel a little bit more comfortable around a lot of the things that we know that, you know, play on parents' minds when thinking about making sleep changes. So yeah, you know, we could have talked to her all day. She's so knowledgeable and it was amazing. We can't wait for you guys to hear it. Yeah, there you go. I don't want to hold you up too much because you need to get back to bed, Beck. So <laughs> let's Save dive in. <laughs> Hello, I am Christy and I'm from The Sleep Teacher and I am joined by my colleague, Beck. Hello. And this morning, we are so excited. We have sleep expert, Dr. Brown, all the way from the US joining us. Good morning, Dr. Brown. Hi. Hi, Christy. Hi, Beck. Hello. <laughs> we are so excited by this because you are honestly like the sleep guru. And I know that a lot of our sleep deprived parents are going to be excited to hear everything you have to say. And we're excited too, because yeah, Beck and I love sleep. <laughs> so yeah, we're excited to learn what you have to say. Would you like to tell us a little bit or tell our audience a little bit about what it is you do? Absolutely. So like you said, I'm from Keapalabi Brown. I am a sleep physician. And so what that really means is I got trained as a pediatrician and then I got additional training as a pulmonologist to take care of children with lung problems. And then I really got fascinated with sleep. And so I got additional training in sleep medicine. So I spent most of my time taking care of people with sleep problems. And so that's really been my passion. I'm the founder of Restful Sleep MD. And really my mission is to help moms especially, but families and their children change their relationship with sleep. So when you said you love sleep, I know I'm in the right company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really excited to be here. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. 
So I guess for us, probably like you, we literally just talk sleep day in, day out and help people with sleep problems exactly like you do, but more ours obviously under the age of five, so families with little ones. And for us, we're just so passionate about the, you know, the benefits that come with sleep, not only for families and, you know, overall mood, but also growth and development. Are you able to sort of, I guess, delve into some of those benefits of sleep and what happens when we sleep? Yeah, that's a great place to start. So, you know, sleep is something we do. It's a natural process, right? And every organism, every animal, every human sleeps. And so it's not just luxury, it's a biological necessity. When we're looking at the benefits of sleep, really from top to bottom, one of the things that we know is that over the course of the day, we have deposits on the surface of our brain, almost like waste products that accumulate that our brains and our body needs to get rid of. And so during sleep, we're able to achieve that. And so this has been a few years now where they discovered the system in this cleansing system, almost like a plumbing system in the brain called the glymphatic system, which is similar to the lymphatic system in our body that gets rid of excess like products and things like that. So when we even think about that role in and of itself and how important it is, it turns out that without the ability to cleanse your brain of those products, some of those products they found are things like beta amyloid. They've shown that it's associated with the increased risk of conditions like Alzheimer's. And so, you know, while we may not think about that so much in initially in our little ones, we may start to see manifestations of sleep deprivation very quickly, even in, you know, in our little ones, in our parents and things like that. So that constant feeling like you're living in a fog. And we've all probably experienced that, you know, sleep deprivation where in the morning you feel like you can't even string words together, right? You may start to notice lapses in memory. You may start to feel like you're living in a fog. So that's just in one piece, you know? It's going to say yeah. putting milk in the cupboard. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or getting into the kitchen and wondering what you were there for. Right. Yeah. What did I come here for? <laughs> And so imagine if that just builds up over time, right? Then it becomes the most serious. It's serious even initially, but more of a serious issue. And so that impacts learning, right? Impacts academic performance, impacts executive function, decision-making. All those things are affected by our sleep. Our ability to regulate emotions, because we go through different stages of sleep. We go through, you know, that light sleep or... Yeah, we call it light sleep, then deep sleep, and then the REM or REM, rapid eye movement sleep. That's kind of like our dream sleep. And so in those initial, like the light sleep, is you're already starting to make some neural connections in terms of memory. When you're in deep sleep, you start to have more of the consolidation of memory. And then when you're in REM sleep, you're sort of filing things from short term to long term. So they all play a role. Every stage of sleep is important. Emotion regulation also occurs in certain stages of sleep. But when we talk about that restoration, a lot of times we hear about it, rest, restoration, recovery. Our body actually heals when we sleep. So you have production of different or regulation of different hormones, like growth hormone, which is very critical for our kids. And it's also very critical for us as adults as well. Other hormones that help with our metabolism. So, you know, things like insulin production is affected by sleep. Our appetite hormones are affected by sleep. And we may notice that if we don't sleep well, you start to get hungry at very weird times. And usually what I say is you're not hungry for carrots. You probably want to go grab a carrot cake. So you start to crave <laughs> salty, you know, 
high carb sugary things, which then makes it hard for you to lose weight because your hormones are off. And so then, you know, the other part is our mental health. So that's also a big, big one as well. So big one. depression and, you know, things like that is affected by sleep. So I literally talk about the fact that from the top all the way to the bottom, sleep plays a role. We have increased risk of injuries too when we don't sleep well. So a whole lot of benefits that sleep has. Yeah, regardless of age. Yes. (laughs) So you said before that sleep's a natural process and it definitely feels that way. But for some, it can be a lot harder to achieve when we're talking about babies and infants. And I know that this is an argument that sits on either side of the fence. Some believe that it's a learned skill and then there's a whole other field that believe that that's nonsense. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's such a great question. So when you talk about a natural process in and of itself, I think I am of the opinion that we are all capable. Our body is able to generate sleep. So that's the sense of it being natural. Like, I mean, there are actually fatal conditions associated with inability to sleep. It's called fatal familial insomnia. Like it's an actual condition where people do not sleep and eventually they actually die, right? So not being able to sleep is inconsistent with life. Yeah. (laughs) But I think the key is that there are habits in terms of the quality of our sleep, the duration of our sleep the continuity of our sleep, those are things that we may need to learn some skills in order to promote it. So the opportunity to sleep presents itself. But then I think the learning part of it is what we do with that opportunity or if we need a little bit of help to actually master sort of how to optimize sleep. I think that's where the skill part of it comes in. Mm. Yeah, as we see, like we understand and acknowledge that, yes, babies get to this point where their sleep pressure is so high and yes, mm-hmm. they will fall asleep. Yeah. But we then go and help and guide and teach them how to prolong that sleep and make it sure that it's a little bit more consolidated and getting those longer stretches. So all that beautiful magic stuff can happen, which you just spoke about. Yeah. And it's just a, not those little 20 minute bursts of, Thanks. you know, that Yeah. Exactly. And I love that. It's more about there's the sleep. You Eventually you'll fall asleep, but how are you falling asleep? And are you really able to reap the benefits because you now have continuous sleep rather than fragmented sleep? So those are the pieces that may need some help. Yeah. And like Beck just touched on too, they will eventually fall asleep. They will, but that's not without that buildup of cortisol and becoming extremely overtired. And yes, as you said before, that's fine every now and again, but when that continues and builds up, that's when it starts to become a problem. Have you got any information, like what do you feel are the cons of that buildup of cortisol? You know, the way our hormones sort of cycle through, there are two main hormones we talk about. We talk about melatonin, which is, you know, the darkness hormone, the sleep hormone. It's not, uh, you know, most people think about a melatonin as a bottle substance, but our brains produce it, right? To help us. Yeah. Kind of almost like priming our brains for sleep, right? And then cortisol. So over the course of the night, you get the buildup of melatonin. And then as you sleep towards the morning, your melatonin levels start to drop. And then cortisol is actually completely naturally goes up in the morning. And that's what now prompts you to wake up and things like that. But cortisol is a stress hormone. So if the body is under stress, then that fluctuation, that natural curve is thrown off. And so now you have stress hormones really high when your body should be calming down. 
And with stress comes a lot of inflammation. And of course, with inflammation comes a lot of, in children, you may see that manifest as, you know, just irritability, fussiness, the excessive crying. And just over time, that's really not healthy. That's not a healthy place we want to be, both in our kids as well as in parents. Because now if the child's stress levels is high, then, you know, mom's stress level is high. And so, yeah, her. Definitely not being able to get good quality sleep can impact those stress levels significantly. And would that be over a period of like long-term broken sleep? Because we obviously get a lot of parents worried about, you know, when they are looking at changing up sleep patterns. Obviously, in the beginning, they can be a little bit more upset because we're not doing what we used to do and they're learning how to do it in a different way. So would that be an okay sort of small period while we are looking at changing some things rather than this long term of months and even years? You know, we work with and you work with much older children. So I think that's where parents are really confused because we hear so much now about cortisol and, you know, overtiredness. And I think it's really confusing for parents on what that looks like for their situation. And they obviously get really stressed and don't want their baby to cry. But Mm -hmm. we kind of say, you know, babies do cry. That's what Mm -hmm. they do, especially when they are learning something new and it's unfamiliar for them. Yeah. And they're not going to be for a short period as opposed to consistently every Mm -hmm. night while they're fighting sleep, overtired, can't settle. Yeah, exactly. So I think we have to look at it from the short-term sort of loss in that sense, and I'm putting air quotes, for the long-term gain. Absolutely. The stress you may experience from a baby crying because they don't want to be left alone. They want to be rocked all the time. They have a hard time just being able to settle on their own. is different from the stress you get from a baby who's chronically sleep-deprived, right? Because If you have a baby that's crying briefly and they may feel a bit stressed, but eventually they'll settle down. It may be a few days, regardless of what plan is in place for them to be able to learn that skill versus leaving them in this situation where they're getting this short burst of sleep and then they have just that stress sort of accumulating over time. So I think it's more about looking at the sort of the short-term discomfort. Yes. Comparison to the long-term gain of having a child have consolidated sleep, because that's really what we want. Yeah. Isn't it? We often get um, parents say to us, oh my gosh, like I was so reluctant to do this. I was so hesitant because I was worried they were going to cry, but they're actually crying less now than they were before. Yeah. And, you know, that's not nice to know as well. But yeah, I think there is a lot of anxiety around the whole sleep training thing because parents are concerned that it does mean that their baby's going to cry. So I guess that brings us to the number one question, drum roll, is (laughs) sleep training damaging? So I think this is a beautiful segue. From the literature, we really don't have evidence to say that sleep training is damaging. I think what we have to also help people see is what is sleep training really? Because the world out there just has put out so much scary stuff that you know, if you go online, you'll be scared. You'll be like, oh, no, I'm not sleeping my child. What? Yes. You know, the misinformation is driving a lot of the fear. But when we say sleep training, and Christy, I'm taking an assumption here by saying that your definition of sleep training is probably the same as mine, which is teaching your child to sleep independently, right? So reassurance and, you know, they need that responsiveness. The support that they need. So if that's the definition that I go by, no. And I think no matter what, whatever that definition means to people, there's really no studies that have shown that it's 
damaging. In fact, it's shown to improve, of course, the child's sleep quality, the duration of sleep they get, maternal mental health, so many benefits that there's evidence to support. Now, there are different ways to go about it, which some parents may prefer one way versus the other. And so those are things that then, you know, open for conversation. Mm -hmm. And in terms of we get parents coming, having tried everything before they eventually land, you know, and really want to look at what we can do for them. A lot of the time they have started using melatonin prescribed from their GP, which we do see, you know, it's pretty on the rise now. I Or I feel a lot of, yeah. especially toddlers, are being prescribed with melatonin at night time. Do you have any thoughts on that and or what are your thoughts around melatonin for children? Keeping in mind, we work with babies under the age of five. Mm. So how much time you got? Yes. <laughs> You're about to put me on my soapbox. So I <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so honestly, I think it's really about the same way, right? Even when you want to sleep train, you want to decide on a journey of sleep training your child or teaching your child to sleep independently. It's about why, right? Why do you want to do that? Well, because my child's sleep is not working and my sleep is not working because of that. So and want- everything that you just said earlier, all those magic benefits. Exactly. <laughs> so then you said why. My first question is always why. Why do we need melatonin? So your brain has the ability to produce the amount of melatonin it needs. And it turns out it's a very, very small amount compared to what's available over the counter, what's available in the stores, right? So first of all, there's completely different. There's such a discrepancy between what your brain actually needs and what's been purchased from the store to give to your child. So that's one. And then the other thing about it is melatonin is not a sleep aid or sleep medication as it is. It's a hormone. Our brain again produces it. So while it's sort of, again, air quotes, relatively safe, we don't know what the impact is is on the long term. And for most young children, especially under five, most of the time, in fact, there's now studies that have shown that almost 50% of children have behavioral sleep issues, which is typically, you know, the main thing that they can't sleep on their own. And so we're probably not addressing the root cause of the problem with melatonin. It's almost like a Band-Aid. And so when we combine the potential side effects without real clarity on what the long-term use, the long-term risks are, I mean, you're right, Beck, it's been on the rise. And there were studies where they looked over the last like 10 years or more. I mean, there's now accidental ingestion of melatonin, which is putting kids in the ICU. Oh, wow. Things are not, yeah, because, I mean, it's there's like gummies and there's so many yeah. operations yeah. get access to them. And there's actually now a few fatalities and kids that landed in the hospital because of melatonin ingestion. So the safety is the thing. And the fact that it's probably not doing what we assume it's doing, it's just serving as a band-aid. And we do need to address like what's the main underlying issue. And I would recommend yes. that versus trying to fix it. Now, there are two or few indications where melatonin is necessary or recommended in children with neurodiversities, right? So if we have children with autism or ADHD, the Smith-McGinney, there are few syndromes where there's children, we're not really clear if it's that their brain produces a less amount or it just takes time. There's something going on with their melatonin regulation. And so those children might benefit from melatonin. But I'm here to tell you that even in those kids, in children with autism or ADHD or children with neurological differences, it needs to be combined with behavioral strategies 
So you can't sort of give melatonin and expect that all the problems will go away. So it's the combination mm. that's really doing the magic. In yeah. situations like shift work or jet lag, temporary use of it has been suggested, but again, more in adults than children. Yeah. And I think like you said before, we've worked with plenty of toddlers, two, three-year-olds who have come to us and parents are at their wits end and they're like, oh, we've been giving them melatonin gummies and, you know, they're a little bit better. But once we address that underlying issue, there's no need for it because as you said, it is a naturally produced hormone that can, you know, things like dark room, removing that exposure to light and things before bed. Screens. Even I even know with my husband, like he'll say, oh, I just, I can't get to sleep. Maybe I need to look at some melatonin gummies or something. Mate, you just need to stop reading your phone, scrolling through your phone before you go to bed. You need to turn the lights off. You need to turn the TV off, read a book or something. Yeah. So meditating, it's just removing those external factors as well, I think, and it really addressing, you know, the underlying issues as opposed to, yeah, getting a quick fix or a Band-Aid with the melatonin. And we do see as well, you know, it helps initially at the bedtime settle. You're still going to get those wake-ups overnight. Mm-hmm. Just because it increases that drive to sleep, doesn't, doesn't it? But, yeah. So. And it's true. It's The half-life is short, so it may help shorten sleep onset relatively. But over time, what I see is many children develop what we call a tolerance to it. So maybe they take one gummy mm. or half a gummy. All of a sudden, it's like it's not working, and then we've upped the dose to one gummy. And so you, they just keep needing more and more. And so, yeah, that's also something that parents just have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that broken sleep, night in, night out, it can build up and it can become a lot. It's hard enough being a parent, let alone a sleep-deprived parent. We understand this and we want to help. We've worked with over 15,000 families worldwide and we have the tools to help you too. Whether it be catnapping, early starts, transitioning from naps... We have the solution and the tools to help support and guide you to a better night's sleep. Don't put up with another night broken sleep. Find the link in the show notes to get started. And sort of cycling back before we were touching on the sleep training and the bad rap it gets in terms of being damaging, we also see a lot of parents concerned. So there's a lot of fear mongering out there, as I'm sure you're aware that it will damage any attachment that the parent and mum and baby have, which look. To be honest, I've sleep trained all three of my kids. And again, definition of sleep training is not shutting that door and leaving your child and not going back. There's, you know, a lot more to it. But I can tell you now, they're very attached. (laughs) Maybe a little too attached at times. Aren't they? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so I think there is a lot of fear mongering out there, but is there any light you can shed on that and help, I guess, sort of just reassure our listeners? Yeah. So, you know, they've done studies looking at this, actually where they looked at behavioral sleep interventions and its impact on stress in children, stress in moms, even on the long term, as well as any secure attachment issues. And so I can think of one study. I think they had almost about 50 or 60 infants and parents sort of diet, infants and mom diets. So the infants were anywhere from about six months to about 16 months. So they're young. And so what they did was they had three groups. They had a group that did sort of what we call that graduated extinction, which is just where you're just gradually shifting the parent from the room. So that was one method. They had another method of kind of bedtime feeding, which, you know, you're sort of pushing the bedtime a little later and then bringing it once the child starts to fall asleep within a short amount of time. 
And then the third thing they did was just sort of like a control group where they just gave them general sleep education information. So three groups, and then they measured cortisol levels. So they looked at saliva cortisol, they looked at actigraphy, just to look at sleep patterns for those babies. And then they had the moms fill out sleep diaries. And they looked before and after these interventions. And they actually found that, of course, with those who were sleep trained, the time to sleep onset decreased, the number of awakenings decreased, and the total sleep duration increased, right? Those are the things we want. We want them to have consolidated sleep and more sleep. And the stress levels actually went down for those who had sleep training versus the controls. Can we say that again? Yeah. <laughs> it's louder for the people in the back. <laughs> the stress level went down for those who were sleeping. Yeah. They looked at maternal stress level. Of course, that went down for those who were training. You just want to just, it's just beautiful. That's what we want. And our nights be happy. <laughs> Not doing the right things. And so oh. they looked at this in a year to look at like any secure attachment issues, things like that, stress. And there were no changes. There were no concerns. So for me, that was just another stump. And this is just one of the studies. They've looked at this. They've done actually what we call meta-analysis, looking at bunch of studies that have studied this as well, sort of like study of studies. <laughs> and yeah. they've seen that it's beneficial and there are really no impairments uh, where people are, you know, I know there's the concern people feel like the child is being abandoned and the distress is going to cause some attachment issues. But what the science is saying is that's actually not what happens. The opposite happens. Yeah. And we all know as mums, like we all just want to do the best for our children. Yeah. And so that's why I feel, and Christy, it's really like when they're trying to pit us against, you know, you've really got to be this breastfeeding, co-sleeping, never let your baby cry parent, or you're this terrible, put them in a room and leave them. It's like, it's just not how it is. And I feel like we can all just parent how we need to and just get on board. Then we know ourselves that there's no issues with attachment when you've sleep trained your child, but it's just, there's a lot of parents walking around out there suffering postpartum depression, anxiety, sleep deprivation, yeah, anxiety, all because they're scared. They've been fear-mongered into not doing any sleep training and yeah, they're a shell of themselves. So it really does warm my heart to hear what you're saying today. And hopefully there's a few parents out there that will hear this and go, you know what, I'm going to give it a try and I'm going to get help. Yeah, get help. Because, yeah, like I said, that there's such a rise now in maternal mental health. And I think a lot of it comes from sleep deprivation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we see clients as well when we have helped them. All those symptoms that they were feeling around, you know, postnatal depression and anxiety, a lot of them go when they start to get those longer stretches of sleep. So that has to say something in itself as well. Yeah. And I think it's empowering to have parents or moms realize that they don't have to be at the mercy of this. It's either this way and nothing else. It's empowering to know and then also to continue to reaffirm them that they are doing the best they can for their child at that moment. But sometimes there's a lot of external noise, which really leaves moms confused about what is the best thing yeah. for them to do. And I think that's where the support comes in to say, well, what you're doing right now is not working for you or 
for your mental health or for your baby too, right? So again, it's thinking about how do we, I mean, if a mom has postpartum depression, this is real. This is a really serious illness. And so if this is one piece of it that we can, we're not saying it's all sleep deprivation. It's not all sleep deprivation. We know there's so many things that feed into postpartum depression in moms, but we do know insufficient sleep or sleep deprivation plays a huge role. And the most common reason, in addition to hormonal changes that the mom is experiencing, right? You just had the most life transforming experience. So there's so many things going on familial, there may be some tendencies, but a child not sleeping is most often the reasons why most many moms are not sleeping. So if that's one big factor that we can address, it's actually addressable then that's a big deal. And if all we could do with that is, even if that's going to shave off a few doses of medication, even if you do need medication, wait, maybe you don't need as high a dose, <laughs> mm-hmm. whatever, something, then I think that's making a huge difference. Yeah. Well, you know, postpartum depression or not, mm. we're all a better person when we get better sleep. So that goes for both mom and baby. And I guess that's, you know, one of the things we see a lot of too. Like Once we've worked with clients, their baby's sleeping, but mom still can't sleep. <laughs> I remember even myself, like the first few times my kids slept through the tonight, I was like wide awake staring at the monitor and it took a while for me to be able to get into that deep consolidated stretch of sleep. What would be your tips for our listeners, our parents who are struggling with sleep? Yeah. So, you know, that's definitely one thing I noticed too, especially with the work I do that, you know, moms are like, well, my kid is even sleeping. And And so there are many things that go into that. Uh, you know, it could be environmental factors. It could, sometimes it could be a little bit of PTSD from just the whole experience of a new baby, all of that. You know, it could be some stress and anxiety that's still lingering, in which case, of course, you want to make sure that you address that with a, a mental health professional. But when it comes to actually those practical, let's say, low-hanging fruit things we need to address, Some of the things that I recommend that moms do, I mean, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, well, sleep when the baby sleeps or, you know, things like that. What I would rather say is create some me time for yourself. Many times as women, as moms, we've given of ourselves nonstop all day that we've not even given ourselves the opportunity to be able to unwind. And I see that as a major, major thing. And so you get into bed after running all over, you know, doing everything for everyone. And then you get into bed, but your mind never got a chance to even catch up with you. And so your mind's like, oh, okay, now I have your attention. Let's talk about what happened. And what you get for lunch tomorrow and all that stuff. What's going to happen when you go back to work? And so your mind is just turning all those things. And so it's really important to build a routine. I think that's honestly, that's the, in addition to trying to, of course, make sure you're getting enough quantity sleep. But I think that piece is so important. It's so underutilized. And so a routine of like two or three activities, the same way we have those routines for our babies, we as moms Mm -hmm. have something for ourselves. You just got to find what works for you. I think either journaling, some meditation, something that just helps you to unwind And really tells your brain, just get off the flight, fight mode and relax. And so finding that sometimes it's soaking in a bath or, you know, listening to a podcast that's relaxing, you know, avoiding anything too jarring, anything too stimulating, you know, limiting the electronic device use, I think is a big one. Because then I was going to say, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no scrolling, no Netflix. <laughs> That's my go-to. But you bring up a good point because many of us moms engage in what we call revenge bedtime procrastination, which is yeah. that you know, it's me. <laughs> yeah, I've heard this. <laughs> this is my time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But it is. It's like that. Oh, if I go to sleep, I'm going to wake up and then wearing it again. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. So it's about really creating a me time for yourself, but making sure that that me time is not stuff that's going to eventually make you sleep worse. Because if you go on to watch a Netflix show and it becomes the entire series, guess what? We just lost five hours of sleep, but of course you're still going to be tired, right? Yeah. So, you know, so staying away from avoiding too much of that but still having that me time. And then caffeine is another one because we as moms are so exhausted. Caffeine becomes like just yeah. it, nonstop. And so you want to... life. So if you need to have coffee, it's fine, but try to avoid having it too late in the day. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's in your system. It's a stimulant. And so it makes it hard for you to settle. And yeah. those are things. Then, of course, the common, you know, your bedroom environment. Is it hot? Is there light? Do you have a spouse that's snoring? You know, all those things can affect your sleep. So just paying attention to all of those things, I think, is really important. And if you are in need of help, like, don't struggle, especially if you reached out to get help for your baby. You can make sure there's help for you. I, I don't know. I think we've also embraced that culture, that narrative of, oh, yeah, oh, you're a new, you're a mom. Okay, that's it, I guess. Good luck. That's part yes, of life. Say goodbye to sleep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think like you were saying too, the, you know, similar to kids, we set the scene at bedtime. We don't just pick them up. Like we always say to Clutch, you can't just pick a child up from in front of watching the TV and expect to say, it's bedtime, go to sleep. Now you need to set the scene. You need to naturally wind them down. And by being consistent with that sequence of events in leading up to bedtime, It'll help your little one over time know what's happening and start to prompt their body to wind down and know what's essentially coming, which is sleep, and therefore in turn hopefully not fight it as much. So, yeah, I really do believe it's the same with us. But, look, I'm the same. I get to bed and I'm like, you know what, I've just been at it all day. I'm touched out. This is my time. I just want to watch Netflix. And I know that it's not the best thing, but then I try to, I'm getting mindful now of just having that little bit of time before I fall asleep with whether it be like some breathing meditation or something that will just naturally help me wind down. But yeah, it is, <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. It's but a hard thing. Yeah. Was there anything else you'd like to talk about, Dr. Brown? I just want moms to know that you making a decision to prioritize, to, you know, be intentional about helping your child sleep is going to help everyone it's going to help you be a better mom. It's going to help you parent better. It's going to help you heal better because you're going to feel more rested. So we have to see that as a gift. We have to see, honestly, sleep training as giving your child a gift of mm -hmm. love you so much. And I'm going to grant you this incredible gift of yes. continuous sleep, you know? And yeah, tomorrow I'll be paying myself as well. So whereas, yeah, especially when you know the science, I think also being informed about you know following the right resources, making sure that you're not just going to some moon groups or some you know they have the right intention, but sometimes parents are living with the wrong information and parents are living feeling judged and shame and you know things like that because they want to do this, but you know yeah. they are told it's wrong. Yeah. And I think that's the thing too, yeah, having that understanding of the science of sleep because most of the things that we're trying to encourage are just to 
complement those naturally occurring hormones and circadian rhythms. And yeah, it's not just a matter of being selfish and like, we just want to sleep. Like it's so much more than that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So much more. And that's why, yeah, we, you know, we always say you can still be lovingly attached and sleep well. Mm-hmm. You can have both. It's you not can one or the other. Yes. Don't have to choose, guys. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming, Dr. Brown. Honestly, I know that we took a lot away from this, even as sleep consultants. So I know that our parents and our community definitely will be so grateful for your time today. If our audience would like to touch base with you or, you know, get in contact regarding any resources you have, where is the best place to go? Yeah, yeah. So this has been incredible. I've had so much fun chatting with you too. My website is a good place to find me and learn more about the work I do, and that's restfulsleepmd.com. And then also on my Instagram, I'm at restfulsleepmd. So that's also a place where I do share resources as well. And, you know, we highlighted some of the things that you just talked about, Christy, about the mom who is now deciding, well, I'm done. I'm still having a hard time either because of boundaries or my mind racing or I can't settle down. I don't know where to start. That's something that I do help. I'm so passionate about that with mom. So if you ever want to start to really say, okay, it's not the kid. I'm not sure what's going on, but I need help with my sleep. And that's something that I also help with. And then on my website, some of the tips I just shared, you could download that and just start working through that as a good place, as a good foundation for your sleep as well. So that's something you can download. And you also work with teenagers, don't you, to help sleep? Yes, exactly. So because teenagers are incredible, they are. (laughs) But most times they have sleep issues too. They struggle because they have a complete change in their circadian rhythm, the way they produce their own melatonin and things like that. I have a course specifically for teenagers to help them so that moms don't have to be on their backs all the time and grabbing and phone out of their hands. Uh, so, yeah, I think these are the main problem, aren't they? <laughs> but, yes. but this is me being like, I'm helping to be that bridge. And so I really think when teens can understand what's going on with their sleep, they make better choices. Right now, all they keep hearing is go to sleep, but they can't. You need to give them, they need the tools. They need the tools, exactly. So that's also on like that. Oh, I might be Amazing. in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 because you set the right foundation. So I think <laughs> we laid them early on. Oh, well, thank you so much. We will pop all of your details in our show notes so that our listeners can head your way. But thank you so much. We're honestly very grateful. Going to let you go because I'm mindful you need to go start winding down. It is bedtime over there. <laughs> Get that Netflix on. <laughs> Maybe a half a show. I'll set it on a timer. <laughs> I'm going to dim those lights. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Brown. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Sleep Teacher Pod. We hope you've walked away feeling just that little bit more at ease with your parenting journey. Please remember, nothing is a problem until it actually becomes a problem for you and your family. If you've enjoyed our company today, we would love if you could please subscribe or leave a review or maybe even both. But if you are wanting more sleep tips right away, use the link in the show notes to find out how you can get started with one of our amazing sleep consultants and follow us over on Instagram at The Sleep Teacher. We can't wait to be back in your ears next week with more sleep tips. Nighty night.